Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. There we go. Uh, start a different kind of series that is we like to work through books of the Bible. Uh, we just finished a 13. We're looking at the foundation through the gospel according to Mark, looking at who we would do now is, is kind of do a time of recap. What is the vision of the church? What do we value? What are our couple of weeks? Uh, we, we did 16. We, we walked through the vision of the church. Then we Kind of when we transitioned out of our house, we went to Highline College where we, we walked through our doctrine, looking at our confessional statement, and then we launched into Mark where we were. And, and now I just think it'd be, it's time to kind of look back at that recast since then. Uh, by God's grace, families and individuals, new of them, have, have joined. And I, I think it would, be, it's, it would just be good before we launch back into a book to kind of go over some of these foundational uh, things within the Mountain Church. Uh, so these sermons will not be kind of in a verse-by-verse verse format. They'll be more of topical, which I personally am not really a fan of. Uh, I know some of you guys are not a fan of. It's, it's a lot harder to preach topically for me because I have to come up with what's the text and try not to eisegete and uh, try to be faithful to what the text is saying instead of working through a book where, you know, okay, this is the section we're looking at. I know what the author's main point is. Let's dig as much out of that as we can. Um, so that, but that's what we're going to be looking at more topically. Um, if you're not familiar with that style of preaching, uh, you, you may have uh, normally what a pastor would do is, well, let's talk about marriage or sex or um, finances or some sort of topic, and then let's, let's find text to kind of align within that topic um, as opposed to in a the more of an exegetical verse-by-verse -verse format. You, you're just working right through the Bible. Uh, so bear with me. Uh, the next four weeks is uh, a little bit out of my comfort zone, but um, I do think it, it's good to kind of recast and, and talk about what are we all about. Uh, if you're curious about where we're going next, we are preparing to start through uh, the book of Malachi, where we'll be for the next seven or eight weeks. Um, and then after Malachi, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. So I'm uh, really excited about those two books. Um, but today we're going to be looking at the mission of the church. What is our mission? What are we all about? If you've grown up in church or you're familiar with the Christian faith, you know that kind of ultimately we exist to, you would say, glorify God. We know this. This is why we exist. This is why the church exists, to glorify God. Uh, the Westminster Catechism, famous, the famous historical confession, 1647, says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we exist. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the term glory, it kind of means God's beauty, his weight, his worth, kind of who he is, uh, refers to his fullness. This is a word that you see a lot in your Bibles. It's similar to uh, the phrase or the, the terminology of the name. So when you see in your Bibles, for my namesake, for the, the name of the Lord, that's a similar way of talking about the glory of God. The, the reason that God does everything is for his glory. But interestingly enough, when I was growing up in church, and I knew this, the chief end of man is to glorify God. I, I was created to glorify God. I, I wasn't always crystal clear on what does that mean? How do I glorify God? And as I, was, as I was studying and looking at what other people have said about this, many people have interestingly said that 
In the Westminster Catechism, it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Not the chief ends. In other words, those things are, are, could be one and the same. It led to the slogan that Pastor John Piper so famously has created. Uh, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. This reality that we glorify God as we enjoy him. If God is supremely glorious and satisfactory and supreme, then he must be enjoyed as that. Not to enjoy what is infinitely glorious is kind of not worship. It's not glorifying God. This is why I think in the scriptures, God commands, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4. When I grew up in church, I used to think that glorifying God was some sort of like duty or some sort of kind of distant reverence that I needed to give to God. It was kind of this obligation. And there were no kind of affections or our love, our heart for God. Glorifying God is something that does not happen begrudgingly without affections. It's not something that happens out of a distant duty or reverence. It's something that happens as we enjoy God. We see throughout the Psalms, Psalm 30, Psalm 43, 4, God is my exceeding joy. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 119, 103, your words are sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So this is how I would say we, we glorify God. We enjoy him. We see him. We savor him. And as we enjoy him, this, this kind of overflows as we share him. We speak about him. We live lives that demonstrate that our joy and our delight and our satisfaction, our happiness, our comfort, our security are found in him. This is my prayer for our church. This is my prayer for myself, that we would be satisfied with God, that we would love him above all else, that our affection would be warm to treasure him, that we would delight in him. I pray that God would awaken your heart to realize and understand that reality that you would treasure him above all things, that you would wake up in the morning and you would be satisfied in God, that you would love him, that that would overflow as you talk about him, as you share him, as you worship him. Church, I want us to flourish and I want you to experience joy that you didn't think was possible in Christ. And through us, I, I have a vision, I have a dream that Des Moines would be saturated with this joy, this glory, this, this glory that Habakkuk talks about, that the, the ends of the earth, all the oceans would be filled with the glory of the Lord. Do we have a vision that we want to see the gospel saturate this city? We want to see the glory of God magnified and uplifted and treasured above all else. Do we have that vision we have that dream in Des Moines. One of my pastor friends of mine says the mission of his church is we desire to see lives flourish in gospel-saturated relationships. We want to see lives flourish. We want joy to be encountered to the full because of the gospel, because of God and Christ. So everything starts with the gospel. This is the vision of the, the mission of our church starts with the gospel. We exist to preach the gospel. Everything starts with the gospel. We can't enjoy God, we can't know God, we can't be reconciled to God 
apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything starts with the gospel. Because of the gospel, we can enjoy God. Because of the gospel, we can now be made righteous. We can enjoy the reconciled fellowship with God. Because of the gospel, we can share this comfort, this joy, this peace that we have received in Christ with others. We can savor him, and this overflows as we speak about him, we tell of his goodness, we share him. We preach the gospel. Now, that's kind of a, a biblical word. The word preach just means to proclaim, means to herald, to speak, to announce. To preach the gospel is to proclaim, to announce, to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel means, good news. The good news that God has sent his only son to die on the cross. He came down to earth. He lived the life that we could never live. He lived a life of perfect obedience. He went to the cross for the joy before him. He went to the cross to rescue and redeem his people. He came to give abundant life to his people. He came that we might have life to the full. He came to reconcile God and man. He died on the cross, forgiving our sins, and he showed himself the victor by killing death. He rose on the third day. He conquered sin, Satan, and death, and he offers the life that everyone is trying to find of pleasure the world is chasing, the comforts the world is trying to find, the security the world is trying to buy. He offers that in himself. This is the gospel. This is what we want to preach and talk about. This is why we exist. Now, some of you might ask, well, why must the gospel be preached? Why is preaching important? Why do we need to share the gospel? Why do we need to talk about Jesus? Why do we need to share it with others? The Bible says that the gospel is the only hope in the world that is. And without the gospel being preached, people will not be saved. Paul says in a letter to the Romans, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I love what the ESV study Bible says about this text. It says the logic of these verses is clear. Number one, people will call on Jesus to save them only if they believe he can do so. Two, belief in Christ can only exist without, belief in Christ cannot exist without knowledge about him. Three, one hears about Christ only when someone proclaims a saving message. And four, the message about Christ will not be proclaimed unless someone is sent by God to do so. I love what it says right after that. This is why Paul was so urgent about spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, for he believed that the only way to be saved was to hear and believe the gospel. This is why in the message we heard last week from our friend Tim Howe, he said, we are saved to be sent. The message of the, the gospel needs to be proclaimed, needs to be announced, needs to be heralded, needs to be preached. How do people hear about the gospel? How do they believe in it? If everyone believed that God was all satisfying, that he's most desirable, that he's the most pleasurable, then wouldn't everyone want to believe it and hear it? Have you found this to be the case that you've shared the gospel, that everyone you share with believes in it? The Bible talks about the fact that humanity has been blinded by sin and by Satan. The Bible talks about that we've exchanged the glory of God for the glory of immortal man, of created things. We've turned to worthless things. We are blind and dead in our sin. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We are slaves to sin. 
The Bible says, without the work of the Holy Spirit, no one will be saved. This process of rebirth that Jesus talks about. A word that theologians have called regeneration, where we need the Holy Spirit to aliven us. Although we were dead, we were slaves of sin, we need the Holy Spirit to come into our heart and make us alive. Give us new desires and appetites for God. R.C. Sproul says it like this. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit upon those who have been spiritually dead. The Spirit recreates the human heart, quickening it from spiritual death to spiritual life. Regenerate people are new creations, where formerly they had no disposition, inclination, or desire for the things of God. Now they are disposed and inclined toward God. In regeneration, God plants a desire for himself in the human heart that otherwise would not be there. This is why if you go and tell your coworkers, the people in your life, your neighbors, that Jesus is the most pleasurable thing that is, that he is more comforting than a good bank account, that he is more satisfying than sex, he's more comforting than alcohol, he's better than all the parties that you could go to, a lot of them would laugh at you. They, they cannot believe that. Maybe some of you right now, you, you've literally, you can't, you can't fathom that. There's no way. When I have a big bank account, when I have my house paid off, when I'm retired, I'm going to be secure. I'm going to feel that. I know that. This, this kind of belief in Christ, this treasure in Christ, it, it takes supernatural work by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to give us new taste buds for God. And although this faith only comes from the Holy Spirit, we know in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is not a preacher. It just, I don't know why God decided to do this. It baffles me. But he has decided, he has commanded, he has decreed that as humans talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit will work and save people. The gospel needs to be proclaimed. The gospel needs to be preached so that the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Apart from the Holy Spirit, uh, people will continue in their unbelief. We see this in the book of Acts. Acts 19. talks about Paul entering the synagogue. For three months he spoke boldly, reasoning with them, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But it says in verse 9, but when some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief. Acts 28, 23-24 uh, says, From morning to evening he expounded to them, t testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law and from the prophets. And some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. This, this idea, this concept led to a saying that the Puritans used to say the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. That's what the gospel does. It either brings people closer to God or it hardens their heart in, in unbelief. I think what this means for us practically as we proclaim the gospel as we're about Jesus is there will be people who will be saved at the mountain church as we proclaim the gospel by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit working. I believe that. But I also believe that as we proclaim the gospel, some people will be hardened by that people outside of the church, and maybe people that are even among us. As the gospel is continually preached, hearts will be hardened. People will continue in their stubbornness. 
There may be people that might even leave because they're tired of hearing it. Our task at the Mountain Church is to be obedient, to proclaim in the gospel, and let God handle the results. The word does the work. I love what, how Luke describes in the book of Acts. He doesn't say by the amazing preaching of Paul and Peter, many people came to be saved. He doesn't say that the church multiplied and expanded because these men were great. Listen to what it says, Acts 12, 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 13, 49. The word of God was spreading throughout the whole region. Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. As the word goes out and the Holy Spirit works, people are saved. Acts 11.20, you see this dynamic. They came to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the Lord, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 13.48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This provides great comfort for me. The word does the work. The Holy Spirit does the work. Our job is to be faithful to the word. We are simply instruments. We don't save anyone. God does. We've been given one task in this, to proclaim it, to talk about it. I love how Paul was comforted in Acts 18. Starting in verse 9, it says, The Lord came to Paul one night in the vision and said, Don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And verse 11, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. What kind of confidence do we have in Des Moines, in this city, that our efforts will not be futile? The reality that the word does the work and that God has people in this city. Is this not comforting to us? Sometimes I think we're crippled by this fear or this uh, not knowing what to say or worried that we're not going to say everything perfectly. We know that the word does the work. The Holy Spirit does the work. Another question we must ask is who do we preach to? Some might say, well, we just preach to unbelievers. Only the lost need to hear the gospel. And I would say that everyone needs to hear the gospel. Believers and not yet believers, unbelievers. I believe the gospel is not only a, a truth that saves when you receive it, but it is the power of God that, that as you continue to believe it, as you take the, the claims and the truths of the gospel deep into your heart, it transforms you. You never move past the gospel. Paul says to the church in Corinth, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. It's a continual process. Paul writes to the church in Rome, the church in Rome, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. The gospel is something that we need to hear, believers and unbelievers. 
Timothy Keller says it like this, the gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it is more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not something that a believer moves on once they trust in Jesus and now it's up to them to obey rules and follow these strict guidelines. Disciples mature as they move deeper into the gospel. As they examine its, its claims and application and implication on their life. The gospel must be kept central to fight against the tendency towards a religious and legalistic perspective. The legalist, the moralist, might say that growth, maturity, and Christ-likeness are found in obeying rules, following principles, becoming a better person. A Christian will say that in believing the gospel and understanding the gospel and practicing the gospel more and more deeply, that is how we overcome sin and grow in Christ-likeness. Our sinful nature, our unbelief is rooted in how we are prone to look away from Christ for our identity, for our purpose, for our sanctification and value. Other things, our people become our functional saviors. We need to continually hear the gospel to be rooted in Christ and to grow as disciples. This might be kind of off topic, but I just, I, I can't help kind of share and bounce this off you guys uh, this week is, was thinking, why did God even decree or ordain that we should be his instruments? Like, don't you think God could get as much glory and just kind of like, okay, you, 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 you're saved, let's go. Why does he use us to create worshipers of him? Have you ever asked this question? No? Is it because God wants to make you uncomfortable? Or is there something deeper that we're missing out here? When I was thinking about this, I couldn't help think, well, why did God create us in the first place? He doesn't, he doesn't need us. The Bible says that in Acts. He doesn't need more glory. He's infinitely glorious. In creation, I think God wanted to share the enjoyment that he experiences in himself with others. He wanted to share his joy. He wanted to behold his glory in what he had created. So God created man to experience the joy of enjoying him. Now, we've talked about a lot about sharing the gospel lately. Like the past three sermons have been very focused on that. We looked at the past couple of weeks, the, the statistic that about 97% of people will never lead someone else to Christ outside of their family. Look at some of the reasons why. And even now, as you've been hearing about this, this reality, this command that Jesus has, this obligation, this responsibility that we have to be people who share the gospel, some of you might now might be wallowing or just crippled by guilt or fear or shame or inadequacy. Know that this command, and as we've been talking about this, this is to get to share in the joy of God. This is why I think he's given us his commandment. God is a loving father and he wants what's best for us. He desires to be satisfied in him, to be joy-filled in him. And the command to make disciples, the scriptures that talk about being sent, is not only for God's glory, but it's for our joy. Do we believe that? Is that how we think about it? Or is this command, is something that we've been talking about, something that we, well, 
Tim and Daniel and Nathan and Will have been telling a lot about sharing the gospel. I guess I just better do it. Daniel said he gave us a challenge, share the gospel 12 times this year. I guess I just better do it, make him happy. Could it not be that in sharing the gospel, God wants you to experience joy that you didn't think was possible? Secondly, the mountain church exists to preach the gospel and make disciples. It starts with the gospel because as the gospel is preached, disciples are made. This is how disciples are made. Jesus gives us the great commission in Matthew 28, go out and make disciples of all nations. We have to ask the question, how do we make disciples? We preach the gospel. We talk about Jesus. If the gospel is something that we never move on from, but it's the hub, if the gospel is something we move, move deeper into, you could say discipleship is growth in the gospel. It's a progression that starts with the gospel, and as the gospel is preached, disciples are made. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 14. This is kind of a key verse in, in how we came about uh, wording the mission of the mountain church. Uh, Luke describes in the story of, of Acts 14 that Paul and Barnabas are at Lystra, the Helaman who was crippled. The crowds think that these guys are gods. They call them Zeus and Hermes. They say, no, 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 we're just like you guys. We're just men like you. We've come to bring you the gospel so that you would turn from vain and worthless things and, and glorify God, the one true living God. And starting in verse 19, Acts 14, it says, when the Jews came to Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So Paul is getting stoned for preaching the gospel and they think he's dead. They leave him outside of the city. But disciples gather at him. He rises up. The next day, what does he do? He goes back into the city and proclaims the gospel. He was that committed to the gospel. Nothing would get him off his mission to proclaim the gospel. In verse 21, it says, when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. See that progression there? We make disciples as we proclaim the gospel, as we bring the gospel to bear on all of life. And finally, we just preach the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. As the gospel is preached, as disciples are made, churches are planted. Some have said that you don't plant a church, you plant the gospel. And as the gospel is planted, disciples are made. And as disciples are made, churches are started. This is our mission. Everything we do in the life of the mountain church will be along these lines, towards this end. The gospel is central to our Sunday gatherings. It's why we sing songs about the gospel. It's why we celebrate communion to remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This is why I try to keep the gospel at the center of our messages, preaching Jesus from all of scripture. This is why we grow and, and seek to have an understanding of the gospel in what we call gospel communities, where we can learn, uh, apply, practice our identity, our, our, the realities of the truth in the gospel. And our gospel communities are not only created by the power of the gospel and as disciples are made, but, but 
our hope and our dream is that our gospel communities are witnesses of the gospel. That when other people look in and see the way that we relate to one another, the way that we love one another, the way that we serve one another, the way that we serve others sacrificially, generously, they might see the difference the gospel makes. And people that aren't related by blood, that aren't related by political party, that aren't related by class, that aren't related by uh, jobs, all coming together as a family, as a community, loving one another, serving one another. Our gospel community is the primary structure in, in which we make disciples. And out of this multiplication, we hope to plant churches. We want church planting to be in the DNA of our church. We have a dream, we have a vision of planting a church within five years. We desire to be a healthy family that wants to be fruitful and multiply. We want to have babies. The aim of the Mountain Church is not to develop a great seating capacity, but a great sending capacity. And I pray that we, we are unified in this direction. I'm not after to create a big name for myself, for the Mountain Church. I'm after for people to see and, and hear the gospel and be discipled to know him. I ask that you would put your yes on the table and see what God does. Pray that we would be a church planting church, that leaders would be developed and sent out. I ask that you pray about your involvement and what that means. Know that there's no sidelines on God's team. There's no bench. God wants all of his people to be involved. I pray that by God's grace, we'd have many commissioning services, that we would send church planting teams out to start new churches in Kent, in Georgetown, in SeaTac, in Tequila, in North America, around the world. That's why we exist. Preach the gospel, make disciples, plant churches. Know that we did not start the Mountain Church to, to create a social club. We did not start the Mountain Church to seek the greatness of the Mountain Church to be glorified. We do not start the Mountain Church to tickle ears. We don't simply exist as a support group to love and serve one another. We're on a mission. We exist to glorify God, to be satisfied in him, and to share that, to have that overflow as we talk about him, as we proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. Now, if you have any questions about what this means or how you can get involved, I would love to talk with you. We're having a membership meeting, right, member meeting right after this gathering, this Hopefully, shortened gathering. I hope I didn't go too long, Will. Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to be a part of the Mountain Church? I would love to talk with you further about that, and I would love for you to commit with us as we seek to, do, to accomplish this mission, that many might come to see him, that many might come to know him, might be filled with a joy in him, that would be a church that starts new churches. Let's pray. Father, I pray that by your grace, you would awaken us, you would equip us, you would strengthen us, you would motivate us to love you with all of our heart, our mind, our strength. That when we see these promises in your word, that you are more desirable than gold, that at your right hand are pleasures. 
that we would trust in that, that we would believe that. Father, I pray that as we seek to do this, as we seek your glory by being satisfied in you, by delighting in you, that our hearts would overflow as we talk about you. I thank you for the people that you have brought to the mountain church. I thank you for the people that you have placed around their life, that you have sent them to, to be your witness. I pray that we would help each other. We would come alongside one another as we seek to make disciples, as we disciple one another. And that, Lord, that you would, you would call, that you would create, that you would develop and deploy many disciples in the mountain church. Father, I pray that you would raise up church planters and church planting teams out of the mountain church, that you would raise up elders, leaders, leaders of leaders, men and women who are committed to your word, who are committed to the lost, who want to see lives transformed by the gospel. Well, we want to see Des Moines transformed. We want to see the surrounding cities transformed. We want to see Burien, Kent, SeaTac, Federal Way. We want to see lives flourish as the gospel is saturated. Father, would you help us as we do that? Would you bring people alongside of us to not let us get off this mission, to not become complacent or lazy or neglectful of the calling that you have placed on our life? And Father, I ask that in all of this that you would be glorified and that we would find our joy in you would now be a time in which this joy overflows as we sing to you and as we remember your life, death, and resurrection through communion. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.